Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast. Episode 15, Cal Clutterbuck's number, and we'll get to uh, that a little bit later in the show. Welcome, everybody. I am your host, Andrew Gross, at A Gross Newsday on Twitter. Happy you have joined us again. And uh, on the show this week, uh, we have a, a chat with Josh Bailey uh, coming up. Uh, talk to him a little bit about where he's been, where he is now, where he might be going. And also talk to newly recalled defenseman Sebastian Ajo about this opportunity that he may get in the NHL. Hasn't been on the ice yet since coming up from Bridgeport, but a very uh, friendly young defenseman who uh, has some thoughts about his career. Um, but where are we? We're, we are, uh, we're halfway through this season, and uh, the Islanders sit at 27, 12, and 3 at the, uh, well, they're 42 games in. Their next game is Saturday against the Bruins, heading back to Barclays Center. Haven't been there in a while. Uh, haven't been stuck in Brooklyn traffic for a while. Uh, it's a Saturday, so hopefully uh, avoiding some of that. But 42 games into the season, uh, as of this recording, the Islanders are tied for fourth in the NHL. That's the entire league. They are the f- they're they're tied with the Penguins for the most fourth most points in the NHL. Uh, they they've also played at least one fewer game than anybody else in that top five, including the Penguins. There, so w- why does this feel so tenuous at times? Uh, I mean. You look at the team, and like I said, they're they're in a playoff position right now in second place in the Metro Metropolitan Division. Season ends today. They're hosting the Penguins again in the first round, and uh, you know it's a it's a good position. Everyone, you know, if you said at the beginning of the year, would you sign up for being uh, you know fourth overall in the NHL and in a playoff position at the midpoint? There is not a single person who would say no. Yet, as I mentioned, uh, and certainly gauging by the, uh, the, the the responses, you know, I see on a day-by-day basis, uh, either through Twitter, emails, or, you know, just some reaction in the stands. Uh, like I said, this just feels very tenuous right now. Well, wh- why is that? Well, I mean, if, if you look over the, the, the past, was it 21 games, um, they're 11-9-1. And, and let's face it, 11-9-1, if you, you project that out over the second half, that's, that's really not going to get it done to get them into the higher echelon. And it might even not be enough for them to secure a playoff spot if they play at that clip. So certainly the Islanders need to start you know, compiling points again with more frequency. And again, they, they gave themselves a nice cushion, uh, you know, October through uh, almost Thanksgiving with a 15-0-2 run. But you, you can't live on that forever. Um, other teams are catching up. Other teams uh, have passed them, at, at least briefly. The Penguins uh, went by them, and now those two teams are seesawing for second place in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, certainly seems like the Capitals are running away and hiding, uh, if not in the Metropolitan Division, then perhaps in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, you know, at this point, I think you probably accept the fact that you're, you're playing for second place in the Metropolitan and home ice in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, it, why does it feel tenuous? Uh, before a 4-3 overtime win at New Jersey on Tuesday, they had, they had gone seven games, where in five of those seven games, they had scored two goals or fewer. They get shut out at Toronto, 3-0 on Saturday. And even though uh, the defense was good that game and uh, they were getting opportunities, Michael Hutchinson out of nowhere plays out of his mind. Uh, you know, a few few of the media folks in Toronto said they had never seen Michael Hutchinson play like that in his career. And, you know, <laughs> I relayed that to a couple of Islander players who, without humor, pretty much told me that that's not really the kind of thing that they want to hear after a loss like that. But, um, you know, two goals or fewer, that that's certainly not enough. Shut out for a second time this season. 
they they certainly need more. Coach Barry Trotz has been, you know, beating that drum for a while now that they he needs more out of some of his uh, top six players. And you look down the line, and, you know, I mentioned Josh Bailey, and he's one of the guys who's not really contributing on the score sheet as of this moment. Anthony Beauvillier has also gone a little bit dry, and that's a little tough because uh, uh, Trotz puts those two, reunites him with Matthew Barzell, um, while at the same time reuniting Brock Nelson with uh, Jordan Eberle and Anders Lee, and those were kind of the, for a long portion of last season before Eberle moved with uh, uh, Barzell later in the season, those were kind of the the two top lines for the Islanders last season. Barry goes back to it in his ever-continuing search to find the right four-line combination. Uh, asked Barry again after uh, the 4-3 overtime win at New Jersey whether, you know, he thinks he's found something getting these two lines back together. He's still not ready to commit to that. He says, you know, really time's going to tell. Uh, the, the, the Brock Nelson line with Eberle and Anders Lee has – it's been good in the three games they've been back together. Anders Lee, you know, goes five games without a goal, now has goals in two straight games, including the uh, overtime winner against the uh, the Devils. And I believe on both goals, and Anders spoke about this, I believe it was De- Devontae's on, on both, you know, setting him up and also then getting to the crease and kind of setting a screen for him. In addition to the lines, you always look at kind of five-man units playing together, and Devontae's uh, certainly meshing well with that that Anders Lee and uh, and and Nelson's line a little bit, and, and Devon obviously very good at jumping into the offense. Um, but yet, you know, Islanders still just you know, are not scoring enough consistently. And uh, one, one of the things why maybe they're not getting or surpassing two goals in a game enough is they just don't get power play opportunities. I mean, this is more than, you know, a curiosity, you know, 20 games into the season. We're 42 games into the season. The Islanders do not get calls. And and some of them are, you know, it seems like Matthew Barzell gets one infraction against him per game that is not called, whether it's a stick to the face or – a tug on his stick or a hook or a hold. Barzell is just not drawing penalties. And he was really good at that uh, his first two seasons in the NHL. Don't have the stats in my hands right now, but I, I know in my scorebook I always write down the player who draws the infraction in addition to who was penalized. And I was writing 13 down a lot last season. And, and this season, for whatever reason, and and – Barry Trotz is asked a lot or has been asked a lot about, you know, what's going on? Why can't this team get a penalty? And uh, Barry, you know, and it's not like the Islanders are not going into the corners. It's not like they're not playing a physical game. It's not like they're not engaging the opponent to draw penalties. They just don't get them called against them. And, And Barry, Barry, kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall because he really doesn't have an answer. Said maybe it's because the Islanders are a bigger physical team that, you know, they don't go down to the ice as much. You know, maybe that's a reason. But at the same time, Barry Trotz really discourages trying to, you know, the the embellishment that you see a lot of players around the league uh, have become good at. Um, But the, the Islanders are not trying to risk any embellishment penalties so they you know for the most part they're they're not doing that maybe they need to to uh draw a few penalties but the the numbers are incredibly stark so the Colorado Avalanche and, and great job by the Islanders shutting down that team Monday at the Coliseum one nothing win uh Semyon Varlamov gets his second shutout as an Islander and couldn't have been happier after the game uh, getting it against the team he played for the last eight seasons. Uh, I believe he had 32 saves in that game. Played really, really strongly. Um, Avalanche leading the NHL in goals scored. They also lead the NHL, not surprisingly, in power plays. They've had 160 power plays. Now, remember that number, 160. 
The Islanders, 31st in the NHL, so last in the NHL. Do you remember the Avalanche's number? The Islanders have 94 power plays so far this season. Um, I am not great at math, but this is pretty simple. That's 60 plus 6. So the Islanders have drawn 66 fewer penalties over 42 games than, than the Avalanche have this season. I mean, never mind the Avalanche. Throw the Avalanche's 160 power plays away. The Ducks are 30th in the NHL in power plays. They have 118. That's, a, that, that's what, 24 more than the Islanders. Like I said, this is more than a curiosity. This is downright the Islanders are not getting calls this season. And mathematically, it doesn't seem like this, this is right. I mean, the, the, other, the flip side of that is the Islanders don't take too many pe- penalties. So a lot of these Islander games are very, very clean in terms of uh, neither team getting a lot of special teams play. Uh, there are there are games where where you know the Islanders are killing an awful lot. So don't get me wrong on that. But blanket statement: you go to an Islander game, you're not going to see either team at anything but even strength for most of the game. So against the Devils, the the Islanders do not have a power play. Um, and what is that? That's the third time, which is a lot in 42 games. The Islanders go without having a power play in a game. The Devils go one for one on the power play, and, and the Islanders' penalty kill had been really good, 13 for 13, I believe, over a, a six-game span heading into the Devil game. So Kyle Palmieri gets a pi, uh, power play goal at the time, puts the Devils ahead uh, in the third period. So um, that's the fifth time this season the Islanders have only had to kill off one opponent power play in a game. Five times in 42 games, and three times they haven't had a power play. So this is the second time this season where the Islanders and their, comp- and their opponent combined for just one power play in a game. And that, that just does not seem possible with, with the way the NHL refs call games. I mean, they're just more penalties out there. There just have to be. I mean, they're, it's, a, it's a fast game with big bodies colliding all the time. And, and, you know, Butch Goring came up to me the other day in the, in the meal room at the Coliseum. And he said, what the heck's going on? You know, find out. Go ask. What's going on with this? And, you know, and, and Barry Trotz has been asked, uh, you know, unless we're, you know, grilling the referees and we're, we're not grilling the referees after each game. Uh, it's just a real oddity that the, the Islanders can't get any of this power play time. And, you know, getting back to the original point, that is, you know, that's where players get some points. And uh, it's not surprising that you have some players who are in a little bit of scoring droughts because uh, those are the guys you usually see on the power play. Um, If this continues over the second half of the season, you're definitely going to see the Islanders playing a lot of two-goal games because you – you know what? Teams are so evenly matched, often uh, even strength, and special teams will win or lose you games. And the Islanders just are not getting that that chance uh, lately. Um, so three of the four lines uh, that Barry Trotz constructs score goals uh, against the Devils. Uh, you got Jordan Everly. Uh, he he chimes in. Uh, he did have six shots. In the game at Toronto, a 3 nothing loss. But it had been, uh, what was it, 11 games, I believe, since Jordan Everly had scored. And it's just his fourth goal this season. And, and honestly, I mean, that's, that, that's a real hole uh, with, a, uh, with the top six, uh, a top six wing. You, you honestly need a lot more out of a, a top six wing. And uh, I got... Some notes written down here. I'm going sans computer right now as uh, my my laptop's being looked at because I apparently type really hard and I, I'm like Conan, destroyer of keyboards. But uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, Jordan Eberle. So I, I charted this out um, and I talked to him after the Devil game 
And he said, you know, and the, and the goal gives him a little bit of hope that, you know, all goal scorers are streaky. He hopes he's going to be able to uh, build off the momentum and, and start scoring some more goals. But uh, he mentioned, you know, I'm a second-half player anyway. And the numbers do bear Jordan Everly out. Um, in February, through his career, and I believe he has 263 career goals. Uh, in March, we'll start with March. 40 of his career goals have come in March. The second, uh, his second most productive month is February. He's got 37 goals uh, in, the, in the month of February through his 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9 NHL seasons. Actually, this is his 10th season. We haven't played February yet. So in 10, 10 NHL seasons, it's, it's a pretty fair trend that March and February are his best months. And then his third most productive month is January in terms of goals. He's got 34 goals in January. But if you project it out, and, and we all know, you know, except for that, uh, that lockout shortened season in 2013 where they played deep into April, the NHL regular season is done by April 6th, April 7th, first week of April. So this is, this is kind of eye-opening. In his career, Jordan Eberle has 19 goals in the regular season in April, and you're talking about just one week you know, per season. So that's nine weeks of play, and he's got you know, those 19 goals. So you know, there is some hope that Jordan Eberle here is going to uh, radically increase his uh, total right now of four goals um, because the Islanders certainly need it. But uh, again, so... They get contributions from three of their four lines that Barry constructs. Uh, they get a goal from Jordan Eberle, who's playing with Brock Nelson, Anders Lee. Uh, they get a goal from Tom Kuhnhackel, a really good shot, uh, ties it up in the third period. Um, his third goal of the season, I believe. Uh, he's play, He was playing on a third line with Derek Broussard. Um, Derek Broussard and, and you know, and... and Barry Trotz is kind of, you know, he's decided for the time being, and he goes back and forth that now Derek Broussard is a uh, a third-line center. And it seems like if you go back, you know, in these podcasts, probably every odd-numbered odd uh, episode, I'm talking about Derek Broussard, the third-line center, and every even-numbered episode, I'm talking about Derek Broussard, the uh, – the top six right wing on the second line, but uh, and Michael Dalcal, who's had a couple of really good games, he he sets up that Kuhnhackel uh, goal, taking the puck away along the boards. Really good work there, and uh, you know Michael Dalcal has not gotten on the score sheet much, um, if at all. But you know he's doing kind of those dirty things, and I think that's where the Islanders have settled with him that he's not going to be much of a point producer. But he can kind of give you that gritty stuff that does lead to goals. Um, the, the the problem with the Islanders, as Barry tries to construct these these uh, lines, is how many of those players can you afford to have in the lineup at, at once? You know, Tom Kuhnhackel is sort of that kind of player. Uh, Matty Martin is sort of that kind of player. Leo Komarov is sort of that kind of player. Cal Clutterbuck, episode fifteen. Is, is sort of that kind of player when he's healthy. So, you know, again, and, you know, I, I know this is what Islander fans have been talking about. There are a lot of bottom six forwards uh, on this roster as it's presently constructed. So has Barry found something going back, reuniting two of his, you know, top six lines or top six forwards, putting those two trios back? Uh, I, I certainly think that off a 4-3 win – you know, he's going to roll those lines out again probably on Saturday against the Bruins. But at some point, there's going to need to be consistent production. And, you know, was the Devils game a good good sign? Uh, I, I, we've seen good signs before, and then they take a step back. And hence the 11-9-1 uh, since that 15-0-2 streak, which, getting back to the beginning, that's why it still feels really tenuous right now as to where the Islanders are going to go over the second half and why fans are clamoring, clamoring for uh, the Islanders and Lou Lamarillo to pick up a, a scoring wing at the trade deadline, which is on February 24th. 
And also, you know, you have to mention Cal Clutterbuck. You have to mention that the Islanders are, are now going to do this without uh, stalwart and, you know, probably top pair defenseman Adam Pellick uh, for at least the rest of the regular season. Suffers a surprise Achilles tendon injury. Not even on ice warm-ups. Uh, the Islanders wouldn't specify how he got injured other than to say he got injured warming up for that 2-1 loss to the Devils uh, at the Coliseum uh, uh, last week uh, on Thursday. And, you know, Pellick on Friday, uh, uh, they, they announced that Pellick is out for the season with the Achilles tendon. It's, it's a huge blow to the Islanders, uh, although it's giving Noah Dobson, who turned 20, uh, the other day uh, at the Prudential Center, playing in a career-high fourth straight game. Happy birthday, Noah. He's turning 20. Uh, how these kids grow up so quickly. But uh, it's going to give Noah a, a chance to, to, to play. If Pellet comes back this season, you know, you might be looking, and this is just speculating on previous Achilles tendon injuries, you might be looking at the third round of the playoffs before you see Adam Pellick again. And, and Clutterbuck, uh, you know, who gets his, uh, his tendon and, or, you know, his wrist sliced up by Patrice Bergeron's uh, uh, skate blade, um, really lucky there was not really horrific damage there. Um, but he's, he's kind of out indefinitely. You, we've seen him at the Coliseum. He sits in the press box during games. Haven't really gotten a chance to talk to him uh, on or off the record other than saying hi, wishing him Happy New Year. But, uh, you know, these two, these are two huge holes in, in the Islanders lineup. And, and Barry has kind of put Komarov in with Sezikis and Martin. And Sezikis scores another goal. And Martin's been effective blocking shots. And, uh, you know, taking he's Martin uh, has gotten down to the crease and gotten a few scoring opportunities. But still... You know, you really want to see Cal Clutterbuck back on that line. And, and I, I mentioned Noah Dobson getting a chance to, uh, to, to play regularly now. And, and you see his game grow. I mean, uh, he was pantsed, uh, you know, up in Toronto, uh, passed through his legs leading to Ingvall's goal. Uh, but, you know, Johnny Boychuk, uh, veteran move, goes over to Noah, his partner, on the bench immediately and basically said that happens to every defenseman, young or old, in the NHL. Just throw it away. Don't worry about it. Noah didn't seem to worry about it. I thought his game is he's kind of built off of the game in front of him. He's, he's looking more and more confident each game. Um, everyone in the room, you know, and scouts, everyone says this kid's going to be a star. Uh, a really good player in the in the NHL, and he's getting his opportunity. Um, one guy who's not gotten his opportunity yet, though, is uh, Sebastian Ajo, who uh, got in 22 games with the Islanders in Dougie Waits last season as a coach. He's been down in Bridgeport since, but with Pelic out, uh, they bring Sebastian Ajo back up from the Sound Tigers as a seventh defenseman. Like I said, he hasn't gotten into a game yet, but... Uh, you know, he, he was named an AHL All-Star for the, I believe it's the third consecutive year, or at least the third time. Um, and his game has really uh, grown by leaps and bounds. And uh, we, we talked to Sebastian about some of the growth in his game and what he's expecting in this turn up in the NHL. How different a player do you think you are from your, your first 22 games in the NHL a few seasons back? I mean... I hope I'm a lot different, just more mature and uh, yeah. I, I mean that's the biggest thing. I've been over here for three years now, and I got some more, a little more more experience. And I maybe don't try to make the the shiniest play every time. I know when to make, try to make plays and when to just get the puck up or get the puck down down in the zone. And I think that's the biggest difference. Just for us who don't get to see Bridgeport a whole lot, is there anybody you've been partnered with? Specifically, this for the most part. This uh, year? Yeah, I mean, I started the year partnered with Burroughs. Probably the first 15 games we play, we always play well together. We, I mean, I've played with him a lot the last three years, mm-hmm. and then I've been playing with Grant Hutton the last 20 games or whatever it was, and we we play good together. We, I feel like we've, it's this. I mean, it's the first year we play together, but I feel like we've played together for a long time. How how similar, or identical are the systems? You know, Bridgeport to what they're expecting out of you up here? Uh, 
I would say pretty much exactly the same. It's a, it's a good red line all through the organization, and I think that's why a lot of people that get called up have success when they get called up because you know what you're supposed to do, and you just go out there and do it. So we talked about the uh, the Islanders. They have a little bit of a break here. Uh, it's a three-day break. They, they come out of the NHL holiday break, uh, that three-day holiday, uh, you know, siesta there, and then uh, – they play seven games in 12 days, which is it, it's as grueling as it sounds. So now after uh, the Devil game, which was their seventh game in 12 days, Islanders get a uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday before facing the Bruins, the Big Bad Bruins at Barclays on Saturday. After the Bruins come through, you're, you're looking at a, a bunch of games against the Rangers, and I think I talked about this on last week's uh, pod, but uh, really weird NHL scheduling. The Islanders had not played the Devils or the Rangers. They're, you know, they're two big metropolitan division or metropolitan area and division rivals coming into January, and all of a sudden in January you got five games combined against these two teams. Now with the Rangers – he had a game at MSG on January 13th on Monday. And then three days later, the teams meet again at the Coliseum. And then we're back uh, at the Garden on January 21st. So uh, by my mad math, bad math, that's uh, three games against the Rangers in eight days. And then, you know, and they haven't played them since. They only got one more the rest of the season against them. But, uh, you know, whatever. Scheduling is scheduling. You play who's on the ice against them. But what I'm looking forward to, and, you know, and again, uh, all of you know, I covered the Rangers for for many years for different newspapers before coming to Newsday. And it is going to be so much fun to see a Ranger-Islander game back at the Coliseum. I, I remember covering so many crazy ones. Uh, you know, I remember standing in the press box uh, uh, watching warm-ups, and the two teams start going at it at warm in warm-ups. Uh, I think this was – when was this? Uh, it might have been 03. Uh, I think that might have been Brian Trottier's lone game at the Coliseum as a Rangers coach, if my memory serves me right, which uh, don't hold me to it. I just know there was kind of a brawl in the pregame warm-ups. And I'm standing next to Glenn Sather, and he's on the phone to Coley Campbell going, are you watching what's going on out there? Um, You know, I I was there when uh, uh, Chris Simon almost decapitated Ryan Holwig. And and, and the weird thing to me about that day was uh, I had a long chat with Chris Simon, a really good long chat with Chris Simon in the hallway um, before, you know, not, not two hours before the game. And... I, I was catching up with Chris, who I'd covered when he was with the Rangers. I hadn't seen him in a while. It was, you know, things were going well with the Islanders, and he was just, you know, as normal as normal can be. And then that happens to, you know, a couple hours later, and I've always been struck with that. I mean, years later, that's that that's what struck me. And you know, I remember one game, Henrik standing on his head and just, you know thinking that it was, you know, probably one of the best regular season games I had ever seen. Uh, I think that was a one nothing game. Uh, Rangers win in overtime. Um, you know, so just just to be in that atmosphere, uh, you know, it, it, it's like the playoffs every time the Rangers come into the Coliseum. I and mean, last year they played two games at the Barclays and uh, – you know, I, I, I sort of felt that was you, – you know you're going to sell out the Ranger game. So uh, that was, a, you know, a way of selling out a couple of games at Barclays. The Rangers, before a 2-1 win on January 12th, uh, 2019, and had gone 0-6-1 uh, in Brooklyn lifetime since the Islanders started playing games there. So uh, be interesting to see those two teams back at the Coliseum. Really looking forward to it. January 16th will be the first one. Really expecting an electric crowd there. It doesn't matter where the Islanders or Rangers are in the standings. Um, it's just it's just great hockey when those two teams uh, get together. Probably even more so. You know, you talk about the Islander-Devil rivalry, and there's certainly an area rivalry, but they, it's nothing compared to that Islander-Ranger uh, rivalry. Really looking forward to that. And, uh, 
you know, last week on the on the podcast, as I as I flipped through my notes here, uh, also mentioned that uh, you know I thought Semyon Varlamov might have a shot at being named a uh, a uh, all star replacement for Junus uh, Corpusalo of the Blue Jackets, who is uh, hurt. And at the time, I said, you know. Going through the Metropolitan Division stats, I, I really thought the only guy who might beat Semyon out was uh, Tristan Jarry from the Penguins. And uh, they made that announcement the other day, and it is going to be the Penguins netminder who is named as an all-star replacement for the Metropolitan Division squad. And uh, you, you compare their numbers. Varlamov is 15-5-3 with a 2.30 goals against average and a 9-2-4 Save percentage, Jerry is 14-6-1 with a 204 goals against average and a 934 uh save percentage save percentage. So Jerry has uh you know probably on numbers, you know, a little bit of a better resume, but I just thought the fact that Varlamov has kind of been doing it over the course of the entire season might have given him a nod there. Uh Jerry really took over for Matt Murray December and on. So we're, we're really only, you know, maybe six, seven weeks into him being kind of the unquestioned Penguins number one at this point. But, uh, you know, so Varlamov will uh, get a little bit of time off, and, uh, you know, that's probably not a bad thing for him either. Uh, Chris Letang was also named as a, a NHL All-Star replacement. You know, we all remember how good – Matthew Barzell, who, again, is uh, the Islanders NHL representative uh, going into uh, into the St. Louis game, how well he played last year on a trio with Sid Crosby and Chris Letang in San Jose. So I'm wondering if uh, Barzy gets a chance to play with Letang again now. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Islanders' lack of scoring um, and, and why that sort of makes – where the Islanders are right now, uh, tenuous, and I guess maybe we can call this the tenuous episode. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Josh Bailey. Um, Josh Bailey has gone six games without a point. He has one assist over his last 12 games. Uh, in 41 games this season, he's got eight goals and 15 assists. And clearly, you know, I talked about the Islanders needing more out of uh Jordan Eberle. The Islanders clearly need a little bit more uh, production out of Josh Bailey, you know, who's kind of gone dry right now. And he's also playing on a line with Anthony Beauvillier, who's kind of, you know, scraping along, not scoring at the clip he was earlier in this season. Um, I sat down with Josh Bailey this week, had a, a really good chat with him. Um, he is the only Islander who was with the team throughout the entire decade of the 2010s. Uh, I might have mentioned this last week. You know, that, that does say something uh, about his, you know, his consistency and what he's proven to different coaching staffs and to different managements. And uh, he reaches 800 games uh, this season and still only 30. He's got some time to go here. And uh, when I talked to Josh Bailey, we, we talked about, you know, the difference is being a 20-year-old player and being a 30-year-old player and, you know, how he kind of sees his career and where it's going and, uh, you know, what, what he might miss when he's not a player when this is all done. So uh, here's my chat with Josh Bailey in the Islanders' uh, dressing room. We're here with Josh Bailey, and uh, Josh, happy new year, and, uh, you know, continued success in uh, 2020. Just looking over it, I don't know if you realize this, you, Henrik Lundqvist, and Mark Stahl of the Rangers are the only hockey players in the New York area to make it through the whole 2010s with the same team. <laughs> no, that's, I didn't know that either. Um, obviously, I knew that, you know, Henrik and uh, Stahl's Salzy been there a long time, so um, yeah, it's a cool accomplishment. It's something I'm proud of to have been here the, as long as I have, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, many more years. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we talked to you earlier in this year when you got your 800th game. But just, what has it meant to you to, you know, up to this point, you're 30 now, to 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 be a lifelong Islander and to kind of build this, you know, legacy so far with one organization. It's been fun. It's been, uh, you know, I think that the day you're drafted, uh, I never would have dreamed to have uh, to have been here this long. I, th- I think you uh, you're just looking forward to getting getting into the league at that point, and then uh, 
it's just been it's just worked out that way. I think uh, I've always wanted to be here. Um, we've kind of had some pieces come and go over the years that have opened up spots for me uh, in different areas of the lineup, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been fun. You get you get a lot of ups and downs, no question about that. But I think they all make you stronger and. Um, still feel uh, still feel good physically, and um, just want to uh, find a way to do uh, do some more winning here. Yeah, I know everyone who's gone through the process knows there are huge differences between being a 20 year old and a, and a 30 year old. But what if there's one thing? What really stands out in the maturing process as, as a hockey player? Well, I think it's you know mentally. Um, Mentally, I think you're able to shrug things off a little easier. Um, it helps having a family too. I think uh, you come home and, no matter good or bad, you got people cheering for you with uh, with my boys and my wife. And um, I think physically, it's a little more demanding. Obviously, I think it takes more effort to uh, to make sure you're you're ready to go for games rather than when you're younger. I feel like there's you know you can almost show up and, and feel good, but uh, now it just takes a little bit more effort. But I think. Uh, you know the game also mentally can slow down for you a little bit if you get more comfortable out there and um so yeah it's been a combination of both over the your time with the islanders do you have some things that stick out more than others and i know the you had the uh, game one overtime winner against the penguins last year but i was just wondering you know through your career where are there a few key moments that really stick out yeah i think there's lots i think uh um, yeah, like you said, I, I mean, scoring that overtime winner was, was special for me, no question. Something that uh, I'll remember the rest of my life. Uh, wasn't the prettiest goal, but I think it, it's something as uh, as a kid, you know, you, you dream of being in that situation and, you know, watching playoff hockey. You just you want that opportunity and, um, you know, to, to be able to capitalize on one was, was, a, was a great feeling, obviously. And I think really, most of my my best memories are, are in the playoffs. I think that's uh, that's what, what you what you live for, and that opportunity to uh, to win a Stanley Cup is, is what drives you. And um, I think yeah, that's I remember the first time we made it to the playoffs, and that that feeling. And there was so much excitement, and your first go at it, and it had been a long time for uh, for this organization to get to that point. And then we've had uh, you know when we won the playoff series against Florida. And, had some upsets here and there but uh last year in the first round and i think it, it just makes you hungry for for more um and, and personally i think when i got a chance to play in the all-star game it was pretty special for my family myself and a uh, really proud moment but but really the, the main ones i think are, are those those playoff games and um you know you're just uh, hungry for more well i, w- I was going to say hungry for more we're almost halfway through the season, going to be halfway through the season. What's your assessment of the group in here and, you know, the optimism going forward, you know, as you, as you start that playoff push? Yeah, it, it, it's still a long way to go. I think, uh, you know, as the season gets on, it gets going further and further. It gets tougher to win games. Games are closer. Uh, I think you look at the standings now, there's not much separation. So it's uh, it's going to be a battle, I think. Uh, but it's it's exciting. I think we put ourselves in a good position thus far. Um, but still realizing that it's only going to get tougher. And um, really, we just want to find a way to uh, keep growing as a team and, and put ourselves in a good position come April and hopefully give ourselves a chance. I'm sure you've been asked, how much do you get chirped by teammates, friends, family for having the Coliseum crowd singing at you every game? <laughs> I don't know if it's a chirp anymore. Um, yeah, we, we get a kick out of it. I mean, the guys in here run with it a little bit. I think if there's been times we've been out somewhere, they get the song going or whatever and uh, try to embarrass me a little bit, but it's it's all in good fun. and um, You know, it's it, for, for me, it's a great feeling. I think uh, when you get that many people ch- chanting your name and... Um, puts a little more pressure on me to get a couple goals at home obviously but uh no I look forward to it it's uh, you know again I'll never forget in the playoffs last year especially uh being able to score a couple at home and, and that crowd and uh, I had family and friends at the game and they were just they they kind of couldn't believe it too so it was uh it, it's pretty special and I'm uh, I'm thankful for uh, for our fan base for it you, you talked about you know you've been able to play in different spots in the lineup you this season you know right wing left wing center you know what what is that skill to be able to adapt to that? And I know it's part of being a team and, and you know, being, you know, useful where you're needed, but not every player can do that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, you, you do what's asked of you. So this is obviously, uh, you know, a position that they they see fit for me at this point. So I'm just trying to go out there and, and do the best that I can. I think uh, um, for me, it's a little more natural to go back to center. I grew up playing center and um, was drafted as a centerman through junior, played my first couple of years. So it's uh, little stuff. I needed some refreshers here and there. And it, it's really just getting that timing in the D zone and getting the puck with speed. There's some things that are uh, that are different, but... Um, the more you do it, the, the more comfortable it becomes. What are the hopes for the next decade here? You know, what any you know items that you know, obviously a Stanley Cup is you know comes to mind first. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's uh, you know everyone I think would have Stanley Cup on the top of their list, and I'm no different. Uh, um, I, I think every year, you know, every year in the league, you. Uh, you don't win. I think you, you realize now, especially uh, this isn't going to last forever. Um, and that's, that's humbling a little bit, I think, for all of us. I, I think it, you, you realize more and more that at, at some point you're going to come to the end here. And I'd like to, uh, before the end to, uh, to, to hold that Stanley Cup up, obviously, and, and do it here in New York. So um, it takes a lot of work to get to that point. Just to, just to get to the end of the season it takes a lot of work. And then through playoffs, it only gets harder. Um, but it's... Uh, it's all part of the fun. It's all part of the uh, the grind and the battle, and I think that's what makes uh, when you hear guys talk about winning. That's that's what makes it all all the more special. And um, yeah, it's uh, that'd be a, certainly a dream come true if that could happen. Yeah, I know the way this league has gone. It's become such a speed league that you know you have to do stuff to keep up with the speed of the league and you know it's just natural you know you, you get to a certain point and you you can't you don't have the speed anymore that you used to what how do you compensate i'm not saying you're there yet but but you know the smart player compensates what do you what do you do well i think like i touched on before it takes more work yeah. um more effort i think you uh you see the guys that that survive the longest. They're they're usually in great shape and they got a good head on their shoulders. They take care of their bodies and um, I think for, for like you touched for me, I think the mental side of the game has always been something that uh, has come easy to me, I guess, um, over the years and just growing up playing so much hockey. So I think uh, I rely on that a lot, obviously. But it's uh, you know really just trying to stay healthy and take care of your body and and hopefully. Uh, play as long as I can I think uh, that's obviously what we all want and it's you know so there's some things that are out of your control that you can't worry about but really it's uh, doing those little things and um, making sure uh, you, know, you can survive as long as possible I know some of the younger guys in here now look up to you as a veteran when when you were starting out who were, who were the guys who really helped you I had lots I was very fortunate I think we had some uh, some really good older guys when I first came into the league um, Bill Guerin, Doug Waite, Mike Sillinger, uh, Brennan Waite. I mean, the list goes goes on and on that I got an opportunity to play with. And, and at that point, you know, it was like same age as Dauber. And um, these were guys that I grew up watching. And, and you know, to, the NHL was such a, a distant goal when you're a kid. You know, it almost felt unreachable. Um, and then to get here, you're just that wow factor for for a little bit until you settle in so those guys were, were really good to me we had some other guys that were probably middle 20s that had been around a little bit Bruno Gervais one that definitely comes to mind Tim Jackman my first year and then I had a good uh, support system with guys around my age that we all uh, we all got along and hung out friends for life with with Kyle Franzi Andrew McDonald um, probably missing a couple guys but uh, obviously Johnny and I grew up same age and started basically the same time and um, so I, I was very fortunate to, uh, to have a good support system and a lot of guys to look up to that, that did the right things and um, liked to have fun too and, and kept, the, kept the room light and I think uh, you kind of adopt different things from each guy. Kids going to be hockey players? or? Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's looking like it anyway. I, I'm not going to push it on them, but I think as, as they get older, um, coming to games and they get to see me out there and now they... they you know, know all the guys and get to see them after games and watching games on TV. Uh, we're playing mini six at the house, so it's uh, it wouldn't shock me if uh, if they end up playing one day. So I'm just uh, you know having fun playing with them and, and letting them enjoy it and trying to share the hockey with them the way uh, I grew up loving it. Well, listen, Josh, continued success. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
So thanks to Josh Bailey for uh, taking some time and uh, having a good chat. Uh, Josh is a very easy guy to talk with. He's seen a lot, and it's always good getting his perspective on things. And uh, like I said, you know, I know the Islanders and the Islander fans are uh, kind of hoping he starts scoring a little bit more, but you separate the, the person sometimes from the production. You know, great guy. Uh, good to chat with him. And with that, that brings us to Andrew's Answers, where I answer some questions via Twitter. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And a Joe LeBrandi asks, why the heck, and I'm, I'm kind of toning that down, why the heck is Johnston not in the lineup when he's the only enforcer we have as Martin has only dropped his gloves once in two years? Before you say we need offense, he produces more than Dalkal, Kuhnhockel, and Komarov. And I'm, I'm not disputing. Uh, Johnston has become... Uh, someone who you can rely on uh, in the offensive zone. And and really, the, the growth of Ross Johnson's game has been a real success story um, with the Islanders. Uh, he's certainly a much, much better player than he was um, in, in terms of skating, uh, his offensive instincts, uh, knowing where to be defensively. Just everything has been better with Ross Johnson. And uh, you know, you give the Barry staff, Barry Trotz's staff, a lot of credit for the work they've done with him. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, also, you know, Dougie Waite, uh, you know, probably uh, and his staff, you know, they, they, they were molding some clay with Ross Johnson, too. Why is he not in the lineup? Really, you know, Barry has gone back and forth trying to figure out what the right combinations are. And then you remember at one point Ross Johnson was playing with Matthew Barzell on a, on a top line and, and the model there trying to be like a, a new Anders Lee or a new Tom Wilson, really. Um, you know, the, the, this notion that every team needs an enforcer on the ice is really – it's not – the NHL as it is today, you really don't. Matt Martin doesn't have to drop his gloves for Matt Martin to be an effective player. Ross Johnson does not have to drop his gloves to be an effective player. Um, you, you need f- 12 forwards who can play hockey a- at this point. And, and, and Barry, I think, is going to get Ross in and out of the lineup. Um, you know, I, I, he's been a healthy scratch uh, the last three games as uh, – as Barry has used these lines, um, and that's Komarov with uh, Sezikis and Martin, and he's got Dal Call back in uh, where Ross Johnson was with uh, Broussard on Broussard's line. So, I, you know what? The, the fact that Ross has been out of the lineup for a few games, uh, it's going to be situational, and I certainly expect that at some point Ross might be back in. He might be back in against the Bruins. I, I know I, I said I expected... Barry to keep the same lines, but the Bruins play a, a big, heavy game. And, and not, again, that Ross Johnson has to fight Zdeno Chara or, or any of the Bruins, but, you know, if the Bruins are going to play a very physical game, a clean physical game, then maybe Ross Johnson gets back in. But you know what? Ross Johnson is not an enforcer uh, per se at this point because he is proving that he is useful in the offensive zone and responsible defensively. Uh, Michael Rasich uh, says, now that Sebastian Ajo has been called up and looks to be here for the foreseeable future, who, what do you see as the Islanders' best available trade chips? Of those, are there any more or less likely to be moved? Um, again, we, we've said this, you know, uh, do, do the Islanders move defense uh, for the sake of offense? Um, I think Adam Pellick getting hurt for the rest of the season really throws a monkey wrench into any of those plans. And I would be surprised if the Islanders, and really I'm throwing Noah Dobson in here because I think the the organization views him as an untouchable piece, but I, I don't think Lou Lamarillo would, you know, move a Scotty Mayfield at this point with Adam Pellick out or, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, Johnny Boychuk has been playing great. I, I don't know how much value you know, he might have as a trade chip if, you know, based on, you know, being 34, 35, uh, with still some money on his contract. I, I think a lot of teams would like Nick Letty, and I think he could bring him back a lot. But, you know, Barry Trotz loves Nick Letty's game, and, and 
I, I don't think you know they're going to subtract Nick Letty from that equation. So who do I see as the Islanders' best available trade chips? Um, you know, could they get Sebastian Ajo some games and maybe turn him into something? And I, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility either. I mean, obviously, the Islanders, you know, if you're talking about who's not on the roster right now, the, the, the best trade chips are probably Oliver Wallstrom, Noah Dobson, Noah Dobson being on the on the roster, sorry. But, you know, I, I mean that kind of prospecty player. Um, and, and a Kiefer Bellows who's lighting it up in a – in Bridgeport right now. So uh, Lou could turn, you know, uh, I, I, and he's not trading Noah Dobson, okay? And and I'm not 100% sure that Oliver Wallstrom isn't a, an untouchable because I think they'd like to see him develop because they see him really as a, a, a top six forward. I mean, if teams have interest in Kiefer Bellows right now and you're getting back you know, and I'm not saying this is a thing, but say the Senators are looking to move Pajot or, or an Anthony Duclair, and they're asking for Kiefer Bellows. Now, this is going to help you immediately because Kiefer Bellows is not up here. Is that something Lou would consider? I, I would, I would think he would um, at at this point. But uh, John Cunningham asks: Was there ever any reason given for Andrew Ladd to be returned to Bridgeport? For a team that is desperate for any bottom six offense, it doesn't seem that he needs any more conditioning the way he is scoring down there. And he's not down there for really conditioning. There's been no real reason given other than, you know, he wasn't probably going to play up here right now. But I I think the unsaid reason is the Islanders are saving a lot against uh, in their daily charges against the salary cap right now. Um, and that's money that can be spent later in the season, be it, you know, and it doesn't preclude Andrew Ladd from coming up at some point. I'm just saying there are daily savings towards the salary cap, and Andrew Ladd being down in Bridgeport right now is, is, is a good financial move for the Islanders who, you know, if they need some space later on in the season, uh, you know, to, to acquire someone, you know, now may have a little more you know, dimes and quarters than they would have with Andrew Ladd being up here. Um, Continuing with Bellows, Old School Mountie asks, Bellows is red hot. The Islanders are desperate for scoring. What is the harm in bringing him up for a look? And like I just said, uh, you know, even if it's just to get opposing teams a look at him, I, I don't think there's any harm uh you know I'd like to see him up here uh see if he can continue the string I think he scored another one the other night um you know um so I I think there is value in getting Kiefer Bellows up to the NHL while he is this red hot um you know I keep expecting it to happen and and it hasn't Uh, I thought maybe when they cut back from Washington he was going to greet him here but uh for a for for a scouting report on Kiefer Bellows, we we did ask Sebastian Aho about what he sees in his uh, you know his Bridgeport teammate, and here's what Aho had to say about uh, Bellows' play of late. He's been flaming hot. <laughs> Everything he touches goes into the net. I'm on, I'm happy for. Him. Just got to give him the puck, and he he solves the rest. Is that um, how you're getting all those assists? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, but it's I'm I'm really happy for him. He's a guy that always works hard and. I'm happy that the pucks are starting to bounce in for him instead of out. NYI on OLN, and thank you, Sebastian, for that scouting report, says, what's the best way to project what Lou will do when it comes to, well, anything? Uh, the options NYI on OLN has given me are a Magic 8-Ball, an Oracle, a Ouija board, Throwing Bones, Zoltar, or Hallucinogenics. Well, I'm not in college, so I'm throwing out hallucinogenics, and uh, I also lost my Magic 8-Ball and my Ouija board in college. Um, Seriously, though, I mean, Lou, one of Lou's real strengths is that he either intimidates or gets people to sign things or, you know, agreements, but what I'm trying to say is no, nobody reports on Lou's business, and few people actually know Lou's business. He does a very good job of, you know, making sure there are no leaks, 
and whatever rumors are out there, you know, usually don't come from the organization or and for most of the time they're not from people who are or you know or really 100% sure of that. So um Lou's, Lou's been at this a long time, you know, 87 in the NHL and uh you know, he just has it locked down and uh <laughs> what's the best way to project what Lou's going to do? Well, you know, you you go back and you look at Lou's history and I know he hasn't made a ton of moves since being the Islanders GM, but you look at what he did with the uh with the Devils and with the Maple Leafs, and and he does make trades, folks. He he will make trades, and and, and I've said this before. I suspect going into the trade deadline, Lou will make a trade this season. So, you know, and I'm not using a magic eight ball, an Oracle, a Ouija board, and I'm not on hallucinogenics. And to be a Zoltar is that a big reference? That's pretty funny. Uh, let's see. Isles Meetup in Pitt said, have you heard anything, in all caps anything is, remotely consistent about these trade rumors floating around about goalie Russian goalie Ilya Sorokin being dealt to a team for a score? And this is from Jeff from Pittsburgh. Um, I will say I have heard the rumors and then respond back to uh, refer back to my previous answer about Lou and rumors and stemming them. So, yeah, I've, I've heard the rumors that Sorokin could be dealt for a score. Uh, there's nothing concrete on that other than a rumor. Uh, me, me just speaking here, it, it doesn't really make sense to me because I, I think they really see, and you, you see this with the Rangers bringing up uh, Shashurskin. Um, I, I really think they see Sorokin as being part of the goalie solution moving forward uh, in a tandem with Semyon Varlamov. And that leads me to my next question. I love when a plan comes into action like that. Uh, Tony M. says, with Grice being a UFA, what's the likelihood of a contract extension versus Sorokin coming up and being a backup or a 1B? And I think the Islanders' grand plan here is you get what you get out of Thomas Grice this year. And I know earlier this year when when him and Varlamov were, were splitting time, I, I was saying that Thomas Grice, if he's going to have the exact same numbers and the exact same playing time as Semyon Varlamov, you know, he's probably going to want the exact same contract, maybe not over four years, but certainly $5 million. And I think... You've seen lately with uh, with Varlamov, uh, you know, getting more of the games, a season high five straight starts. That maybe Grice's uh, asking price with the Islanders would come down a little bit, um, but I, I still think the Islanders want to bring Sorokin over, um, and, and I think they want to pair him with uh, Varlamov. So, uh, you know, uh, that would be, I think, option one for the Islanders. And, and then, you know, maybe Grice being a fallback if, uh, if for whatever reason that doesn't work. Uh, Kurt Green asks, what is the ETA for Hickey to return from injury? I assume the team would love to have him back on the roster right now. Don't disagree with you uh, that I, I think Thomas Hickey was, if healthy, would have been the choice to come up with Pellicurt. Um there is no ETA. Uh, when we asked Lou about it, said no timetable, said it was a lower body injury, and specifically, without being asked, said it is not a con- uh, not a concussion. If that's what you're asking, um, so uh, not an ass- uh, not a concussion for Thomas Hickey. If that's what you're asking, a lower body issue and. Uh, no timeline on when he might be available. I know it's been a really tough year for Thomas Hickey, really a tough going back to when he got the concussion, uh, what was it, last December, which led to Devontae's coming up and really taking Hickey's spot amongst the top six. Uh, Johnny Pajamas, <laughs> uh, Johnny Pajamas says, how can anyone, Lou or ba- Barry, think Dal Call is helping the Islanders more than Bellows or Hosang could? Um, I mentioned earlier in the pod about, you know, I think they know what they have in Dalcal, and that's more of a, uh, you know, not a guy who's going to be scoring points, but they kind of like his grit along the, the, the walls. They, they like his retrieval. They like his defense. Um, 
I, I agree. The Islanders do need scoring. And uh, right now, Bellows, uh, I think Hosang just got hurt. So uh, I'm looking at Bellows really as the option to, to come up and provide some scoring. And uh, Johnny Pajamas, slipping in a second question, says, when does the NHL make the announcement for the Islanders' home playoff arena situation? And, well, there, there's no timetable. I, I think, uh, when was it, last season? Was it late January, early February that they announced that the first round would be at the Coliseum? And then all subsequent rounds uh, would be at Barclays. And, you know, uh, I know I've said on previous episodes of the podcast, and I remember talking about it with Neil Best in the studio when he was in, uh, and probably also Jim Bomback was just that, um, you know, maybe this is the year they go all Coliseum since, uh, you know, with the ownership between the Barclays and, and the Coliseum separating and, you know, and them playing the bulk of the games at the Coliseum. Maybe they just, you know, get all the games to the Coliseum. And then I heard NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman on uh, FAN the other day, uh, again, just talking about how Nassau Coliseum isn't a major league uh, facility in terms of what the NHL is looking for. And, you know, from, you know, from a technical perspective, point of view you know he was kind of alluding to the fact that for a marquee event which you know conference final or stanley cup final when you have all these tv crews uh you know and nbc getting in there looking to get a million cameras in there and all this production uh, the coliseum just simply can't handle it it's not a modern arena so that leads me to believe with no announcement or timetable for an announcement that, you know, probably this year's playoff situation for the Islanders is going to be a lot like last year's playoff situation for the Islanders. Um, KV says, which defenseman is most likely to be traded or replaced by Dobson this offseason? And I would pull back on the reins a little bit. I, I know Dobson is getting uh, some time right now. Remember, he is not eligible for the AHL this season because of his status and eligibility with his Canadian junior team. Next season, he is eligible for the AHL, and it still would not shock me if the Islanders as an organization believe the best for Noah Dobson's uh, development would be getting some time in for the AHL. So uh, hold the phones on Dobson replacing one of their, uh, you know, one of the top six defensemen going into next season. Um, Scotty asks, I'm sorry, Scotty, Scott asks, has Varlamov taken over the number one job in your opinion? Do you think Grice only gets starts on back-to-backs now? And no, I I think Grice gets more time than starts on back-to-backs. But I, I do think Varlamov has shown that he's going to you know, maybe get more of the work, uh, maybe a 60-40 split, you know, a 65-35 split for the time being uh, until proven otherwise. I thought Grice was, was pretty good for, you know, he had struggled previously. Um, uh, what was it, one win in his previous six starts, I believe, and pulled from his last start. But he was he was really good against the uh, Devils, especially in overtime, making a three-on-one stop. And he had a funny quote about that, saying, I just tried to follow the puck and prayed, basically. Um, but right now, if I had to point to it, I know Barry Trotz would argue with me because he says he has a 1A and a 1B. But uh, right now, I think it's a little bit more of a standard starter backup model for the Islanders. Um Billy Launders says, do you see the Islanders trading for someone like Pajot from the Senators? And yeah, I guess that's a simple uh, answer. Yes, uh, I do. I I think uh, he could very much be on the Islanders' radar as we get to the Feb 24th uh, trade deadline. Uh, Sid Falco says, think Andrew Ladd or Hosang uh, can contribute down the stretch? And uh, I guess that depends on what happens at the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I could probably... You know, probably a little more so Andrew Ladd uh, coming up, especially if you're looking to uh, fill out that third line. And I, I, Hosang obviously can provide scoring, but his best you know position is in the top six, and I, I just don't see the Islanders getting there yet with him uh, in terms of whether they can. You know, he he improved defensively in training camp. Did he improve enough to earn a top six spot? No, he didn't. So. Uh, 
right now, I think Ladd would be a little bit ahead of Hosang in terms of uh, contributing down the stretch. Everything's subject to change. And so tune in uh, to episode 16 next week to Andrew's answers to see how I answer that. Um, Josh McDowell says, why do Islander fans think they're smart? And the easy answer, because they uh, read Newsday and they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, and we'll finish up with Cordup, uh, who says, do the Islanders really need a score or just need their guys to score? And I think that's a very, very good question. Do they need a boost in their top six. We've been saying that. Like I mentioned, Lamarillo said they needed more pop and uh, goes after Artemi Panarin in the offseason. Um, so clearly Lou was thinking that. Um, but, you know, do they just need their guys to score? Look, this looks a lot different. This does not look as tenuous, as I mentioned, if Jordan Eberle has more points right now, if, if Anthony Beauvillier is scoring the way he did at the beginning of the season, if um, Jordan Eberle, Anthony Beauvillier, Josh Bailey is not just getting one assist in 12 games. Uh, you know, if those, if just those three guys are scoring more consistently, that really bolsters the Islanders' lineup. So do they really need a score? Uh, yeah, they need a score. Can it come from within the room? It still can. Um, but like I said, I, I still expect uh, Lou Lamarillo to make a deal here before February 24th. And uh, I appreciate you listening. I'm your host, Andrew Gross, at A Gross Newsday. Please go to newsday.com backslash sports to find everything. All the episodes, back episodes, all the backstories, whatever you need is available on the Newsday Islanders webpage. And uh, this podcast can be found wherever podcasts are found. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you again next week, and happy hockey, everybody.